Let's get into the Word together. Get your Bibles or your devices, however it is you're going to do it. Get out your pen, your, your device again, if that's how you want to make some notes. I want to speak tonight on uh, Covered and Revealed in this month where we're speaking about wineskins. And I realise that a wineskin is not something any longer that probably any one of us here have ever seen, uh, an actual wineskin, but it'll make sense. Stick with me as we go all the way through, and this will certainly make sense to you. In Luke 5, verse 37, Jesus said these words. He said, No one puts new wine into old wineskins, for then the new wine would burst the wineskins, spilling the wine and ruining the skins. He says new wine must be stored in new wineskins. And what he's giving us there is really a teaching about change. It's a teaching about what we need to do if we're going to be followers of Christ, if we're going to keep walking with Jesus, then we need to be people that are available for the things that are new. That doesn't mean we jettison the old. It doesn't mean that somehow or other we throw out the stuff that uh, just because we used to do it, we've got to now get rid of it. It doesn't mean church has got to be hip or relevant in that sense, though I believe the gospel is always relevant to every age and to every season. But what it means is this, that God wants to bring something to your life and to mine, and we need to be prepared to change the way we do things so that what is new can be kept and can be retained. And so over this month, we'll be speaking about what it means to be a wineskin. Next Sunday night, I'm going to be talking about the anointing and uh, the teaching about that. And again, I'd encourage you to come. Bring your friends. Allow them to get soaked in the presence of God. Allow the Holy Spirit to come and bring something to their life and to their mind and to their, their, their future in Jesus' name. But I want to begin with the same passage I read this morning. Different message, but it's the same passage out of Joshua chapter 5, verse 1 through to 12. So lean in for this tonight. Get ready to hear something that I believe can help you. Joshua 5 verse 1 says, When all the Amorite kings west of the Jordan, that's the River Jordan, and all the Canaanite kings who lived along the Mediterranean coast heard how the Lord had dried up the Jordan River so the people of Israel could cross, they lost heart and were paralysed with fear because of them. At that time, the Lord told Joshua, make flint knives and circumcise this second generation of Israelites. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the entire male population of Israel at Gibeath Haraloth. Joshua had to circumcise them because all of the men who were old enough to fight in battle when they left Egypt had died in the wilderness. Those who'd left Egypt had all been circumcised, but none of those born after the Exodus during the years in the wilderness had been circumcised. The Israelites had travelled in the wilderness for 40 years until all the men who were old enough to fight and battle when they left Egypt had died, for they had disobeyed the Lord. And the Lord vowed He would not let them enter the land He'd sworn to give us, a land flowing with milk and honey. So Joshua circumcised their sons, those who'd grown up to take their father's places, for they had not been circumcised on the way to the promised land. After all the males had been circumcised, they rested in the camp until they were healed. Let me just pause there and say, if you weren't there for this morning, 
uh, you can watch on our YouTube channel. Watch that message where I talk about that whole thing about delay and about what it is sometimes to allow the Holy Spirit to lead you and not to get driven by pressures of circumstance or by the opinions of others, but to allow the Holy Spirit to lead us and to guide us. But let's read on. Then in verse 9, it says this, Then the Lord said to Joshua, Today I've rolled away the shame of your slavery in Egypt. So that place has been called Gilgal, which means to roll away, to this day. While the Israelites were camped at Gilgal in the plains of Jericho, they celebrated Passover on the evening of the 14th day of the first month. The very next day they began to eat unleavened bread and roasted grain harvested from the land. No manna appeared on the day they first ate from the crops of the land and it was never seen again. So from that time on, the Israelites ate from the crops of Canaan. Tonight I want to take some time and speak out of verse 9 of what we've read there because it seems to me to be a verse that doesn't kind of fit the scenario. I understand the, uh, the covenant of circumcision that God had given Abraham. I understand what that meant and that all these people had already experienced that in the land of Egypt. I understand the whole thing, as I'm sure many of us would do, about the fact that the whole generation rebelled against the Lord and said, we don't believe, we're not gonna, uh, we don't think we can go into the promised land. And God said, then that whole generation is gonna die and 40 years have elapsed waiting for an entire generation who wouldn't believe to pass away. And now these people get here. And I'm, I'm just, well, let me read verse nine to you again. It says this, Then the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the shame of your slavery in Egypt. And yet it's been 40 years since they were last in Egypt and only two men out of the entire audience, out of the entire crowd, only two men present, Joshua and Caleb, can remember Egypt. None of the others there can even recall what it was like to live in that place as a slave. None of these people now hearing this have experienced slavery. And so therefore, verse 9 seems to me to kind of be out of all. uh, it, It just doesn't kind of quite fit in with the rest of the layout of this story. But there's a bit of a play on words here. I was in Melbourne, woke up at I think 3.30 in the morning with that verse in my mind and reached over, got my phone, got my Bible on it and began to study, leaning over the side of the bed so I never woke up my wife, at least I don't think I did, and began to make notes on my phone about this whole verse and what it's got to mean for every one of us here. At the end of my preaching tonight, I'm going to invite you to share communion, the Lord's table with us. I'm going to invite you to step out of your place and walk forward and come and take the cup and come and take a piece of the bread. Then go back to your place and hold it. Then we'll all eat and drink together as the family of God, the people of God that we are. But I'm going to invite you to do that as as an action in faith as a sign to God, God, I'm going on the journey that I'm about to speak about here to you. Because there's a bit of a play of word on words here. The word shame or reproach 
comes from a Hebrew word that means to expose. It means to reveal something that's been hidden. And obviously the act of circumcision is meant to expose something too that's been hidden. Do you know the Bible talks about believers? Well, let me read to you Ephesians 1 verse 11 out of the message version of the Bible. It says this, it's in Christ that we find out who we are and what we are living for. Long before we first heard of Christ and got our hopes up, He had His eye on us and had designs on us for glorious living. Think about that a minute. You are not saved simply because it made sense to your mind. You are not a follower of Christ simply because you turned over a new leaf or you decided you would believe. But the Bible says that God had His designs on you. Think about that. Your life is not an accident. Your life is not simply some result of random DNA, some collision of biological material, and you happen to be the result. I know some of us, maybe even cruelly, were told that we were an accident. But can I say to you that in the mind of God and in the heart of God, no person here is an accident. You are designed by God. God had designs on His design. You are meant to do something. You are meant to be something. You are meant to carry something. You are meant to reveal something. You are meant to be more than simply one of the six million human beings, six billion rather, human beings on planet Earth. You're meant to be more than simply a mum or a dad or a single person or a child or a young adult or a student or a business person or whatever you may be, you are meant to be something far greater than that. The Scripture says this, that long before you had anything in mind, God had His designs on you. And then I come to Christ and a revealing begins to take place. Something starts to get exposed about my life and who I'm meant to be. You know, I I remember doing uh, my uh, high school And once only ever in my life, because we lived in a small country town, and I don't guess they had this kind of resources. But I remember once a guidance officer, they called him in those days, turned up to our school and all of the senior class got to, well, actually the junior, because we only went to grade 10, uh, got to have a visit with the guidance officer, who I guess that couple of days probably saw something like, I don't know, 100 kids. And so I was one of those. Well, she looked down and saw my math scores, saw my science scores and said, you know what? You'd make a great engineer. Now, here's the funny thing. I did not know any engineers. I had no idea what engineers did, no idea what kind of work they produced. But on the basis of one person's suggestion, when I went down and then completed year 11 and 12, Um, I went to university and guess what I signed up for? I signed up for engineering. I still had never met an engineer. I still, there was no Google. I had never researched it. I had no idea what engineers did. And so I enrolled in engineering. Well, unfortunately, back in those days, uh, I was not a follower of Christ. And so there was a whole lot of my life that was undisciplined and wasn't pulled together. 
And uh, I remember, and, and uh, please, if you're a young person here, don't take this as some kind of a, an endorsement of undisciplined. But, well, I, I did not succeed. Let's just put it that way. I didn't succeed at being an engineer. And when I left uh, the university to get a job so that I could get some money quickly, I went and joined a bank. I never joined the bank because I wanted to be a banker, because I wanted to have a career in money. I went and joined the bank because it was the easiest job and I saw an advertisement for it in the paper. And I thought, well, that's a pretty safe job. I could probably do it. So I went and became a bank teller. But it's still, there was no sense of purpose about my life. There was nothing. If you'd said to me, do you feel that your vocation in life is counting money behind a counter? I would have gone, no, spending money on the other side of the counter. <laughs> that I could have believed, but certainly not uh, the other way. And, you know, it wasn't until I came to Christ. I remember to this day walking into a church building, a church unlike any church I'd ever seen as a child, more like this style. There was lights and the music was bright and people were engaged. People had their hands in the air like they were being arrested. And I had never seen anyone do that in my entire life. Church I went to was so quiet, you know, that you could hear your neighbour's heartbeat from three rows back. That's how quiet it was. You know, and just nothing like that. And so I go to this place and as I walk in, I see somebody up on the platform and a little voice inside of me. So that's the only way I can describe it. It wasn't like there was someone in there. It was just like, I remember this thought came so strongly into my mind, you're going to do that one day. Well, so when the church asked for volunteers to come and help serve and to do stuff, I put my hand up. Little realising that it's in Christ that we find out who we are and what we're living for. Don't underestimate your decision to follow Christ has got eternal ramifications, not just for you, but for the lives of thousands of other people. You are not simply another believer who's waiting for the heavenly chariot to swing low, pick you up and carry you to your final resting place where you get to love God, and sit back and play your harp on a cloud. Not that I believe that actually happens, but... Uh, that's the way some people think about it. But I believe Ephesians 1 and verse 11. It's in Christ that we find out who we are and what we are living for. The church has been hidden by the world and God wants to expose what's been hidden. I think Joshua 5 and verse 9 is God saying, the land of Egypt hid you. The land of Egypt covered you. The land of Egypt told you and gave you a false identity. The land of Egypt said you're merely slaves. You're nothing better than that. And what the Egyptians saw were slaves, but what God saw was a holy nation. What Egypt saw was a commodity to be used and cast aside as soon as they were sick of it, as soon as they didn't want it anymore. But God saw a covenant people that He'd chosen to be His habitation. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 1 and 2 says this, Behold what manner of love, come on, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called the children of God. Therefore the world doesn't know us because it didn't know Him. Beloved, now are we the children of God and it has not yet been revealed 
what we shall be. Can I say to you that what happened back in Joshua's day where the land of Egypt misidentified the people of God, said, you don't matter. You are just uh, our slaves. You've got no great value. I see the same thing happening across our world and it's happened for 2,000 years. In the early days of the church, they, they despised these people. You know, even the high priest stood up and said, you know what, let's not worry about this thing called the church because quite likely it's all gonna fade away into nothing anyway. And yet it wasn't long, it was less than 20 years later that they were saying about them, these are they that have turned the world upside down. See, the world always wants to tell you that you're irrelevant. The world wants to tell you that you've got no great value. The world wants to say to you that really you're just even, even if you are a Christian, you're really not that important. You really don't have much that you're able to bring or to do. After all, you don't have enough resources or you don't have enough uh, experience or you don't know enough of the Bible or some other thing and wants to say to us, we are not much at all. But God in this verse 9 of Joshua 5 said, Today I've rolled away the shame of who Egypt said you are and I'm exposing you for what you really are. The whole thing of circumcision was not at all just simply about some external sign. It was about God saying, I'm about to reveal who you really are. You've stepped out of slavery. You've wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. But now you start coming into what is your birthright. Now you start coming into the very thing that you were ordained for, that you were designed for. You're walking in. That God's plan was never just to get a people that could inherit this beautiful place called the promised land. Read the Old Testament and see God said all the way along, I'm going to inhabit this people. He said, I'm going to come and live amongst you. God said all of, all of eternity, He says, I've been looking for a people that will welcome me, a people where I can come and live with them. God does not want to be another site on your tourist trip. God does not want to be another, another place we visit from time to time. That's why when we come together as a church in what we call church, the reality is that our coming together does not stop with the last song. It doesn't stop with the fellowship after because we are the church and the habitation of God all the time. Every single, whether we are together, you might be working in a business where you are the only Christian there. Can I say to you that even if that's so, you are still the church and you are still connected. You must never feel alone as a believer. Never allow the enemy to tell you that you are just all, it's all up to you and you're on your own. Many years ago when I had uh, cancer in my body and that's a long time ago now, but when I had that, I, I, I remember going to a friend of mine who lectures in, in medical stuff and, and is quite well known and treats a lot of famous people, whatever, he's a friend of mine. And I remember going to him and just as I got to the end of my treatment, I said, um, you know, is there any advice you want to give me? He said this to me. He said, you know, I've treated hundreds and hundreds of patients that have been undergoing chemo. He said, I've never seen anybody like you. And I, and I went, what do you mean? He goes, he said, look, he said, it's obvious you're, you're reasonably fit and that's a part of it. 
And it's obviously got a positive attitude and that's a part of it. But here's the exact words. He said, but can I say to you, there must be a divine undercurrent in your life because you should not be as good as you are. And I've never forgotten that. I discovered later that I remember going to a Hillsong conference the last time that I was there and I said to my wife, we better go and just show them we're not dead. And uh, I remember going there and I had people that to this day, I have no idea what church they're from. I don't know them. But they came up to me, not just one, but several of them, come up to me and say, we've been praying for you every day. I had some of them say in our Bible college, I didn't even know what the Bible college was. I didn't know who they were. But these people said, we've been praying for you. Why? Because the body's the body. And it doesn't matter where you're from. It doesn't matter about so much the label over the door. That's one way to focus our effort. And we love that. I love the fact that I'm a part of Metro. I'm not just a part of the great crowd. But, uh, but whichever way it goes, God wants you and I to make sure we understand we're never alone. But don't allow the devil and don't allow the world to say to you that basically you haven't got enough worth worrying about. Because that's a slave mentality. Own nothing, do nothing and have no future. That's a slave. Own nothing, do nothing, have no future. And yet God says about these people, I'm going to not only take you out where you own nothing. He says, when they left, they went and asked all the Egyptians, can we have your jewellery and your furs? We're going to go and worship God in the desert. And so miracle of miracles, the Egyptian wealthy people said, sure, take my diamond necklace. Sure, take my gold sundial. Sure, take my furs. Take my, my beautiful leather jacket and, and use that as you go out. And that's what they built the tablet. These people went out uh, having had nothing and God straight away made them possessors. Then they come into the promised land and God says to them, you are going to dwell in houses you never even built. Now think about this a minute because so many of us, we can still live as believers carrying the slave mentality in our life where I own nothing, I do nothing, and I've got no future. Where my life is about existing until Jesus returns or until I die and go to heaven. What God saw was a covenant people that He'd chosen to be His habitation. Now let's change this up a gear. I believe we've got a photo for you, do we? Do we have the picture? I'd love you to put it up if you've got it there. That's it. That is a picture. There's lots of different kinds. That's a picture of the kind of wineskin that Jesus spoke about. Now, look at it for a minute and straightway you'll notice something about it. That this wineskin, I used to read Luke 5.37 about the wineskin and I imagined a vat or a tank. I imagined something that you store the wine in. And then you look at that picture And you notice something straight away that this device, this wineskin is for taking something valuable and nourishing from one place to another. Here, listen to it. Wineskins are for pouring, not for storing. So when you and I say to God, make me a vessel, it's a song we sing here. Make me a vessel. Make me an instrument of your blessing. What we are saying, Lord, is make me somebody who's for pouring, not for storing. 
But as long as the world can convince you that you're broken, you're irrelevant, you're not really worthy and, and not a, a, a anything important, as long as the world can convince you that you're not a king, you're not a priest, you're not a son or a daughter of the living God, you will get whatever you get and you'll just use it and store it and keep it. You'll keep it inside of your life. Why? Because you've never, you've been hidden and you've bought into the lie that somehow or other the world wants to tell you that the church can't and the church shouldn't and basically that the gospel is old-fashioned, out of date and really not really worth believing in. So many believers suffer from a needless inferiority complex. The world hides Christ under religion. I was in Melbourne, as I say, last week and I'm forever driving past churches. They're everywhere. All kinds, all shapes, stone ones, brick ones, glass ones, ones with crosses on, ones with three crosses on, ones with no crosses on. All kinds of different styles of music and all kinds of the rest of that stuff. And the world wants to say, you know, the church is not, it's religion. You know, sheesh, you know, if you're on Twitter or Instagram, you know what I'm saying. There's so many people that talk about religion as though somehow or other all churches or all religions are the same, but they're not. They're not the same. Christ died for the ungodly. I don't know of any founder of any religion on the planet that can make that claim apart from Jesus Christ. Jesus died and he never died for the Christians and the church people. He died for everybody. And so the world hides Christ under religion. The world hides Christ under spiritual mysticism, which just makes it complex. And so it's all bizarre and kind of mysterious and strange. Now, I'm not saying there aren't some things about the gospel that aren't a bit. When I walked into that church and people were lifting their hands, I wondered who was arresting them. Because the only time I saw people put their hands up was when someone said, reach. Huh? And uh, there were some things I remember as a new Christian writing down. I didn't understand why we sang some songs three or four times. Church I had grown up with, you sang one verse once and that was it. You're finished with it. Move on to the next one. That's not about music styles because I don't really mind which one you like. There's probably a country and Western church somewhere that people love. It's not this one. But the world hides Christ under religion, under spiritual mysticism, under offences. How many people do you know who, if you invite them to church, will go and say, oh, I had a, you know, a Christian burned me, a Christian hurt me. I had a mother that was religious or some other thing or, you know, I've heard every kind of thing like that and hides Christ and, and covers it over with offences or maybe illusions of distance. You know, as though somehow or other God's so far away, you could never know Him. He's too far. Colossians, I think it is, isn't it? No, it's Ephesians. 2 and verse 13 says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Do you know how close Jesus is to every person here? According to Romans 10, He's as close as your breath. And that's mighty close. He's very close to who you are. Every Christian, I believe, needs to go on the journey of discovering who I am in Christ. Every Christian needs to go on the journey 
of saying, I'm going to start to see the church, not according to the way the world paints it, not according to what I read in the media, not according to all the stuff that uh, people have written books about, but I, I'm going to start going on the journey of seeing who this the person called Jesus is and out of that, who I am in Christ. And you are a lot more in Christ than simply someone waiting for heaven. You are for pouring, not for storing. There's something about your life. And listen, you may be here tonight and you go, Jeff, you don't understand the problems I've got. Well, you don't understand the ones I've got either. And every single one of us here would have something that we could lean on and say, well, I would except for this. Well, I'd step out, but I don't know enough. I'm, I'm not confident enough. My personality, I'm just quiet. Every one of us could. Can I just get across to you tonight that every single one of you, every one of us, me included, we are for pouring. There's something inside of you that you are not aware of. There's something that God created when you got born again. There's something that is greater than you will. The scripture calls it the unsearchable riches of Christ. You know, so many of the parables of Jesus, he spoke about something that get hidden, gets hidden, the pearl of great price. He talked about a treasure hid in a field. He talks about the parable of the wheat and the tares. All of those things say the same thing, that this thing called the church was hidden for so long, but now God wants to reveal it. Joshua chapter 5 and verse 9 is God saying, right now I'm rolling away the shame of your hiddenness. I'm taking away the thing that has kept you from being known. I believe with all of my heart that without lots of fanfare and lots of pizzazz and razzmatazz, but simply out of walking with Christ, more and more people are responding and want to know Jesus. Truly, people want to know Christ. People want to know Jesus. And many of them are not going to read the Bible because the only Bible they'll ever read is you and me. And if I've got something that I'm willing to pour out, you know, that picture of the wineskin did not have, you know, uh, what, what's the famous Louis Vuitton luggage. There's no LVH stamped on it. You know, there's no whatever famous bag things, Gucci or, or Bulgari or there's none of those famous labels on it. It's a pretty average looking thing. It was the thing, the reason why Jesus used the wineskin was because everybody there had one. It was that common. And what he's saying is, though you be common, though you be ordinary, Though you be every day, there's something you've got. Come on. There's something you've got to pour out. There's something you're meant to give. Where you are, you're meant to bring something to the lives of others. I am and you are who he says we are. Now let me finish and draw this to a close. Luke 24 verse 30 to 31 and you'll see how beautifully it brackets with Joshua chapter 5 and in verse 10. Verse 10 of Joshua 5 says they celebrated the Passover. Now watch this. The Passover was the bread and the wine, the breaking of bread. Here it is in Luke 
24 and verse 30. Now it came to pass as he sat at the table with them that he took bread, blessed and broke it and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they knew him and he vanished from their side. There's something significant about the sharing of the Lord's table that is meant again to be a revealing of who we are. Remember, some of you here will remember, I'm not trying to get too deep into this here, but if, you're, if you've read your Bible a bit, you'll know that verse where it says that many are sickly and many die because they failed to discern the Lord's body. And it's speaking about communion. It doesn't say because they're behaving badly. It doesn't say because there's sin in their life. It says they're failing to see what's been hidden and that gets revealed every time we take communion. When we receive these elements, they stay bread, they stay the cup, it's all great. But when we receive those from a heart of faith, there is a revealing of who Christ is. There's a revealing of who the church is. And there is a revealing of who you are. Their eyes were open. Now, if you read Luke 24 and go back and read it later, you'll see that the two people that it's referring to here are actually not the apostles. They're not the well-knowns. They're not the names of the Peter, James and John that most of us could at least number off a few of. What they are is just two, they're identified as two followers of Christ. And I love that because they weren't the names that stood on the platform. They were simply the no-name followers of Christ. But they were the ones who go back to the apostles and say, you'll never guess what happened. We were talking to Jesus. We didn't know it was him. He started to tell us everything about his death and his resurrection. But you know, we just thought it was information until he sat down and he broke bread with us. And then our eyes were opened and we knew him. See, there's a massive difference between knowing about God. Church is not the information collection session. Church is where I have a revelation of who Christ is. So I want the team to come. Thank you. We're going to sing together this song. Uh, you, you are who you say you are. And I am who you say I am. We're going to sing that together. And we're going to sing it through once. And then I'm going to invite all of us to stand. No pressure on anybody. But our host team are going to come. Two, uh, uh, four across the front here. And I'm going to ask you if you would say tonight... Jeff, I want to go and declare, Jesus, I'm going on a journey of discovery and I want you to reveal yourself to me and I want you to reveal your church to me. Maybe you have been on that journey. You might say, Jeff, I've done EFM, equipped for ministry and I'm pretty sure I know, you know, what God's called me for and all the rest of that. I'd say, well, you probably know about this much. I don't think any of us here can claim to know anywhere near enough. It's the unsearchable riches of Christ. But some of you here might want to say, Lord, I thought I was for story. I've been trying to get as much of you as I could to outweigh all the negatives of my life. God, I've been struggling with depression or with anxiety or with the fear of rejection or whatever else. And Lord, I'm just trying to get enough to get me up to level, uh, your know, ground level. But Lord, I'm going to make a decision tonight that regardless of where I am and regardless of what I'm going through, from tonight on, Lord, I'm going to be for pouring and not for storing. 
team, if you'd come, host team, please. Just be ready. Just take one piece of the bread in a minute and the cup and then go back to your place and just stay standing there a minute. We'll get you all to stand and make it easy for people to get out. And then when everyone that wants to is coming, you don't have to, but you're more than welcome. You might say, Jeff, I'm not from this church. Can I receive this? Yep, because it's called the Lord's table. It's not called the Metro table. So you can receive it if, if you love Christ or if you want to. You can come receive it. Take the cup, take a piece of the bread, go back to your place and then we're going to all eat and drink together as the family of God. Thanks. Come on, let's sing the song. Let's stand together. We'll sing it through once and then I'll invite you to come. Thank you. Ooh.